to jump us forward a little bit, um, all the way from chapter 6 through to the start of um, chapter 8, and that's where we're going to be picking up today in verse 3. Now, you could ask, um, in, in the past we've done specific uh, Christmas series, aligning up with every week of Advent, so uh, why not this year? Um, so, um, actually we decided we are, we're, we've started Acts back in chapter 1 at the start of the year. We're only in chapter 8 now, so we just need to keep marching through the book of Acts, otherwise we'll never get this thing finished. Um, but just in case you need a little bit more Christmas glitter and cheer ahead of our carol service next week, I'm going to attempt to throw uh, a little bit of tinsel at this um, sermon today. Um, it's going to take a little bit of participation from you, so um, please don't be shy. Um, what I want you to do is turn to someone near you and tell them about your favorite carol. And as well as telling them about your favorite carol, what it is, tell them why that particular one stands out to you, okay? So, off we go. I'm really curious as to what these carols are and why they're your favorite because you seem to be generating a lot of laughs around the room so really interested anybody want to shout out their favorite carol Silent Night, Silent Night. yeah why is that your favorite one yeah yeah it's good it's good it's good yeah, some of, the, some of the lyrics are just really powerful, actually. Um, yeah, Jesus, Jesus came to bring peace, didn't they? Anybody else want to wanna shout out their favorite carol? So, sorry, go ahead. See you amid the winter snow. So why is that one your favorite, Rachel? Great. Do you know what? It's great when husband and wife get to know each other so much better here on a Sunday morning. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, sorry, Peter, I think you were going to... Oh, Holy Night, yeah. Oh, Holy Night. And you know, why is that one your favorite? Lyrics. Yeah, awesome. I feel like we could be here all day, couldn't we? Um, I, one of my favorites is Oh, Holy Night. One of my favorites, because... Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a few. Um, my kids ask me all the time, Daddy, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite car? What's your... I don't have favorites. I have like two or three favorites of everything, and um, it's, I always find it hard narrowing down like the exact one. So one of my favorites is Oh Holy Night. Um, I think uh, the first time I ever came across uh, Oh Holy Night was in the church scene in Home Alone, if you remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it was a little bit freaky, okay, because he was there, right? I don't know if you know who I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about Marley, who was Kevin's elderly neighbor. Uh, here he is. So, Marley uh, actually turned out to be a good guy. He just looked freaky. Uh, right up until nearly the end of, of the movie. Um, now you might think he was freaky, but not nearly as scary uh, to a young child as the pigeon lady was in Home Alone 2. Do you remember her? Yeah, here she is. Um, now, um, Home Alone 2 was set in New York. It uh, featured another church scene, and this time it was Carol of the Bells, um, which is really beautiful, Carol. Um, I looked at the lyrics there recently, and it doesn't seem to have any reference to Jesus whatsoever, but it is a beautiful tune. Um, here's Kevin with Carol of the Bells. Um, but if you, if you grew up as a kid in the, in the 1990s, as I did, uh, the chances are it probably took a few decades for O Holy Night and Carol of the Bells to uh, really grow on you and for the, the trauma uh, to wear off. Um, time is a healer, thankfully, and uh, perhaps there might have been some counselling along the way, um, but I've actually really grown to, to like O Holy Night, and there's a particular line in that carol that I want to share with you this morning as we begin to look at this gear shift um, that's happening in the story of the early church as the story of the kingdom of God accelerates into Samaria. And the line that I want to share with you this morning is this. And we sang it earlier, of course. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And I want to use that line to kind of frame what we're talking about here uh, this morning because that's exactly what was happening here in the story of the early churches, the good news of Jesus spread into Samaria. And so in uh, just a moment, we're going to read the passage together and then we're going to explore what that might mean for us 2,000 years later. Firstly, I want to just pray before we get into this morning's passage. Yeah, Father, I thank you that you come to meet all of our needs. That you come to bring peace where there's restlessness and anxiety. You come to bring hope where we've lost our hope. You give us joy and you've lavished your love of, upon us. And Lord, as I speak this morning, as, as we, as we uh, read these words from Acts, Lord, we ask that we'd meet with you, we'd encounter you, that you'd meet each one of us. And we'd leave here today changed. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 8. It's a little bit of a long passage, so bear with me. Um, 
Verse 4. Those who had been scattered uh, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Okay. If we remember back to the start of the series, um, back in end of January, February time, uh, we were in chapter one, and in the first few, uh, if we remember back to the first few verses of chapter one, we'll remember that um, when Jesus was still with the disciples, they had their kind of make Israel great again moment. Um, do you remember that moment whenever they were gathered around Jesus and they asked him the question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And just to remind us of that, those verses this morning, to that question, he replied to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, starting in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I've gone back that this morning um, because we've just crossed the threshold of wave one, which is the gospel being preached in Jerusalem, which was everything up to like the end of 
chapter 7, start of chapter 8. And now we're into wave 2 as the gospel goes to Judea and Samaria. And the catalyst for the gospel going to Judea and Samaria was the persecution which scattered the early church. So here we are uh, this morning. We're in Samaria. And our passage today starts with Philip, who went down to a city in Samaria and told uh, people about Jesus. There were signs and wonders, and there were lots of people uh, who were set free. And we read that there was great joy in the city. Another carol we sing at Christmas time. Nobody shouted it out this morning. Um, we sang it yesterday uh, in, in Bangor at McKee Clock. Um, another carol we sing at Christmas is Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. These songs we sing, uh, some of them have really powerful lyrics. They're not just nice, nostalgic Christmas tunes. They are reminders that the very Word of God became flesh and came and dwelt amongst us. And to this day, the kingdom of God is advancing. And as the people receive their king, there will be great joy. And we see that in the story with Philip, don't we? We see the joy that there was in that city as the earth, as the people received their king. But it's not just for the people of Samaria 2,000 years ago. It's for the people of Bangor. It's for the people of Newton Ards. It's for the people of Donegadee. It's for the people you work with. It's for your family. It's for your neighbors. The earth is ready to receive her king. And everything that Philip and the early Christians witnessed in Samaria, the deliverance, the freedom, the healing, everything that they experienced, we can expect to see too. Just for a minute, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Samaritans. Um, I'm sure all of us have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. It was a parable that Jesus told. Um, I want to give you it this morning from the NIV, which is the Northern Ireland version. Uh, if you can imagine Belfast in the 1970s in the thick of the Troubles, and we have a Protestant man um, traveling on foot from the Newton Arge Road through to the Craiger Road, uh, when along the way a group of teenagers, they grabbed them, they stole his coat, they stole his wallet. There was no smartphones in those days, so he didn't steal his smartphone. But they gave him a good beating and punched him and kicked him and left him bruised, left him for dead on a cold night. And there he was, lying at the side of the road. Not long, a minister from a local church came along, and he saw him lying there, but he crossed the road and just scurried along as fast as he could. Too, too inconvenient to stop and do something about it. Then next up was the organist. But he did more or less the same thing. He crossed over to the other side and swiftly made his way on to where he needed to be. And then finally, along came a Catholic man who was passing through the city in his car. 
And he was from another part of Belfast, the least likely person to stop yet. He was the one who actually risked his life to stop, to help the man and to show some mercy. Now, um, the real version that you read in the real NIV, it's slightly different in terms of characters, but the plot's more or less the same. And there is no punchline, by the way. I'm not telling the joke. The reason why I did that was to show you that the divisions between the Samaritans and the Jews, they're not too dissimilar from the divisions that we actually experienced in this country uh, between Protestants and Catholics during the Troubles. And to some extent, there's still some of those divisions uh, here uh, today. And all across the world, there's similar divisions. The hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans actually uh, it went back uh, these things tend to go back over centuries, don't they? They often have history which just is really nuanced. And the same here for the Samaritans and the Jews. This thing went back centuries, back way, way back to the time of the Babylonian exile when some of the Jews were taken away to Babylon and the ones who were left behind ended up settling in Samaria. Decades later, um, to their surprise, whenever they uh, returned to build the temple, the Samaritans gave them no help at all. They wouldn't lift a stone for them. They were happy with the life that they'd formed while the, Babylon, or while the, while the Jews had been away in exile. They had formed a life for themselves. And soon division started to form between the two groups. And as time went on, there were multiple conflicts between these different people groups over many centuries. And it's, it's that historical context that makes this particular advance of the gospel to the Samaritans completely mind-blowing. It was the first place after Jerusalem for the gospel to go to. When the, God, when the kingdom of God comes and when people recognize Jesus as king above all other kings and his throne above all other thrones, strongholds fall. Strongholds that have been there for hundreds of years fall and dividing lines are erased. And that's what God was beginning to do here with the early church. With each new wave came increasing diversity, it came unity and mercy as the early followers of Jesus learned how to love those who were different to them. So with all of that in mind, let's pick up our story again in verse 14. And it says this, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers where they might there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, a question here for us is why did it take the apostles to come and lay hands on them? Is it because they were the only ones who had the anointing? Could Philip not have done that? Well, I don't think that's the answer. I don't think it was because the apostles were the only people that carried anointing. It's, it's not what we teach here. Um, 
because we believe in the priesthood of all believers and that everyone gets to play. So all of us can lead people to Jesus. All of us can pray for people. And we certainly see that trend as well in the book of Acts as, as we read on through to the end of the book. We certainly see that everybody gets to play. So why then did Philip send for the big guns from Jerusalem? Well, uh, the significance of this is that uh, with Peter and John playing a role as these new believers received the Holy Spirit, they were actually symbolically welcoming them into the whole church and not just the kind of Greek-speaking Hellenist part of it. Uh, Rebecca spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she was back in chapter 6, and uh, if we remember back to then, there was these kind of dividing lines beginning to form between the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenist Jews. And so what Peter and John were doing was actively stepping across these fault lines as a new community of believers was beginning to form in Samaria. You see, the Holy Spirit's heart is unity. And when the kingdom of God comes, unity and reconciliation are part of that. What does that mean for us? Well, if, if you remember, uh, last month we read Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 23 from the message, which ended up by saying uh, this, uh, the church you see is not peripheral to the world, the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. So what we do in here and how we honor and love each other actually ripples out beyond us and has a much greater, much wider kingdom impact. And we have a, a tremendous opportunity as we apprentice to Jesus to learn how to habitually step across fault lines and learn how to love people despite different personalities. And uh, Let's just be honest, there, um, there isn't a normal person amongst us. Sure, there's not, um, at least from my perspective anyway. Uh, so th sorry if you thought you were, if you were normal. Uh, let this be an encouragement to you, though I think we actually do this pretty well as a church family. I think we're good at loving each other uh, despite differences. Uh, so let's continue to be a people who embrace uh, despite difference. Let's be a people who continually step across fault lines. I think as we do that, God will lead us to maturity and we will learn uh, to love one another and live together in unity. And as we do that, it's going to have a much greater kingdom impact than what we might imagine. So that's kind of part of what was happening here in Samaria in terms of unity. There's something else going on as well. Um, Simon the sorcerer was there. Uh, verse 9 to 11 tells us that for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people both high and low gave them their attention and exclaimed this man is rightly called the great power of god and they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery now 
One of the things we can notice from this is just how incredibly open the people in Samaria were to spirituality. They were willing to embrace anybody who was willing to kind of point them and give them direction. They were definitely a people who were seeking, maybe just not in the right place. And actually, the truth is today, not an awful lot has changed. Lots of people around us are seeking. People are much hungrier and much more desperate than we think. People are reaching for all sorts of things and searching in all sorts of places to try and fill that hole in their soul. All those things that Jesus came to bring us. When we don't find those in Jesus, each and every one of us tends to look left, right, and center to try and find it somewhere else. And that's what was happening here in Samaria, and actually that's what's happening all around us as well. People are much more open to spirituality than we realize. And one of the ways we can see this is uh, the huge growth in things like secular meditation and, and mindfulness, and I'm um, being quite deliberate with my words there because there are several Christian uh, meditative practices as well, which have uh, seen a huge resurgence over the last 20 years through likes of Dallas Willard and Richard Foster uh, and others who have made this th these practices just much more accessible to the wider church. Um, but secular meditation and mindfulness have seen huge surges, and it's commonplace now for businesses to incorporate this into their training session to help people um, find that inner calm, that peace. Because people are desperate to find peace. Another way that we can see the openness of people around us to spirituality is, 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 is the openness. If you see like the, a number of times since we've lived here in Bangor, there's been uh, like psychics coming to do something in a hotel and, and, and like the posters are up all over the place. And, um, and, and I remember seeing something up in the North Coast where there was something similar going on and the queues outside the front door, the long queues outside the front door as people queued to get into the town hall there. The openness people have to fortune tellers, psychics, and anything new age. There's huge interest in those things. People are searching and they're hungry. When we were uh, part of Belfast City Vineyard, um, which is where we were sent out from before we planted here in Bangor, um, they used to take a team every year for a while to a, a New Age festival in Belfast, a really big New Age festival with hundreds of people. And they would, they would set up a stall to pray for people. And person after person would come forward who was seeking and hungry and just really open to encountering Jesus. And all around them, there were Simons who were offering counterfeits. But when people received the real thing, they used to say, what you guys have is just different than everything else around here. What is it? It's Jesus. Jesus. People are much hungrier and desperate than we think. And actually, they're much more receptive to prayer than we think as well. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that over like the last 10 years 
Halloween has, has just got really, really big. It's just like every year, incrementally bigger and bigger and just uh, more and more hype around it and the stuff comes into the shop earlier and earlier. Um, and one of the reasons, I think, is because there's a fascination with the supernatural. Sure, there's the commerciality and all the rest of it, but there does seem to be this growing curiosity with the supernatural. And Derry, uh, you might have noticed, has the biggest Halloween festival in, in Europe. And, and this year there was um, a marked difference in the way they kind of promoted that. They started referring to it more and more by its pagan name, Samhain. Uh, it's on their website, invited you pretty openly to, to a great Samhain gathering. And it said, our, our world city comes alive with ancient spirits welcoming you to join our awakening. There is an openness to the supernatural in our land, and I believe it is ripe for an awakening, a true awakening. But there are some counterfeits, and when you see those counterfeits begin to spring up, like Simon the Sorcerer, or New Age festivals, or Derry having the largest Samhain gallery in Europe, that's because there is a groundswell of hunger for the real thing. And so often as Christians, we, we look at these things and we get scared and we kind of develop like a, a siege mentality and, and we try and hold on and fight for what we've got and we end up getting distracted and dragged into fights that were never ours to have because we've lost sight of our commission, which is to go and make disciples. And so when you look at America, and you see all the mess there and the role that the church has played, and I'm not getting political or taking sides or anything like that. I'm just making an observation. It looks in a bit of a mess from the outside looking in. It looks pretty polarized. And I think the problem, the role that the Christians have maybe played in that is just siege mentality. And the key for us is not to let what the enemy is doing become our focus, but instead look for what the Father is doing in this time. And so notice how Philip in this story, he didn't go and pick a fight and get onto his soapbox and say, hey, don't run off to this guy. This guy's bad. He didn't start attacking him. He didn't give off about Simon. He simply showed up and started introducing people to Jesus. He brought the real thing, the message of the kingdom of God. And what I want to say to you uh, this morning is that there are people following Simons all around us. Like, there's not, a, there's not a hunger problem. Like, people are hungry. People are searching. But you might think people aren't interested in church. And there might be kind of some barriers to people and church, which we want to try and break down as much as we possibly can. But people are hungry and they're searching. And they're longing. And we just need to realize that we carry the real thing. We actually have the presence of God dwelling in us. He actually lives inside us. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you might have seen it, a news headline came up over the last number of months, the census as people have been just beginning to unpick the census and um, various different news headlines begin to pop up as, as, we, as we get into the detail 
of that and this time it was about Christianity and the headline that I read on the BBC website or the article said this for the first time fewer than half of people in England and Wales describe themselves as Christian the census 2021 has revealed the proportion of people who said they were Christian was 46.2% down from 59.3% in the last census in 2011 now those are headline figures. It really only uh, highlights nominal Christianity, which is Christian in name only. Uh, however, um, the Evangelical Alliance, they estimate that approximately 6% of in the UK are practicing Christians who go to church regularly and pray and read the Bible. That's about 4 million people in the UK who have a huge impact, especially in the area of compassion and social justice. And that number, that 4 million number, that's not declining. Stayed relatively the same in the last 10 years, so say the Evangelical Alliance. The church is in good health, and that's amazing, and has an incredible impact on wider society. But there's another way of looking at that, because that headline was probably designed by whoever wrote it to make us feel like a dwindling minority. And so when you hear the Evangelical Alliance figure of 6%, that means that 94% 94 of people in the UK are not practicing Christians. Okay? Now, this is how I read it. Rebecca texted me the article, and this is what I texted her straight back. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. And we don't need to feel insecure or like we're part of something that's on the wane. We carry the answer that the world is waiting for. And that kind of brings me right back to where we started this morning. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Can you feel the people around you longing and pining reaching to try and fill that hole in their soul. Everything we talk about at this time of year is because Jesus came so that the soul would find worth, would find meaning. And all of those longings find a home in Jesus. And so as, as, we, as we consider what happened here in Samaria, that'd be a reminder for us that we actually carry the real thing. We carry the good news of Jesus. And there's so much familiarity around Christmas, so much commerciality around it, now we forget the, the powerful, powerful message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. The powerful message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Which brings great joy to every city. Now, um,
sometimes it's hard to kind of hear a message about you know being ready to share the good news um it just is like yeah i've been told that one before i just don't really know how to um so when i want to kind of give you a few handles around that um i know that the the thought of telling people about jesus is is often scary and um and most of us we probably don't see ourselves as evangelists we probably don't see ourselves like philip uh, but stay with me here if if you can one of the easiest most non-confrontational ways to share the love of jesus is to simply offer to pray for someone it doesn't take us to be a good street preacher or to be well-versed in apologetics. In fact, sometimes that stuff, when we go kind of heavy on that, sometimes it actually pushes people further away from Jesus. And sometimes the most powerful, most effective thing that we can do to share the good news of Jesus is to offer to pray for someone. That's really simple. Now, even at that, you're like, well... I can see what you mean, but that's still pretty hard. Like to pray for people, that's 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 hard. Like people you, you don't know, even people you do know, even people that you've kind of worked with or your family, it's it's kind of hard to 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 kind of have the courage to say, "Hey, can I pray for you?" And one of the things that might hold us back is that we might be kind of afraid that people will say no. They might reject me. They might say no. They might put the shutters up. And that's true. They might. I've prayed for lots of people um, outside of the church who don't know Jesus. And it would actually surprise you how many people say yes. Like I haven't kept a, a diary um, and done the stats on it. But I reckon by my estimate and my experience, about 80 to 90% of the people that I've asked to pray for have said yes. And even the ones who've said no have generally been quite polite and courteous. I've had some people who have just been quite rude. But that's all right. But most people have said yes. And I bet all of us have had times when uh, neighbors or perhaps colleagues or even just people we meet as we go about our daily business they they tell us about something difficult that's going on in their life and i've done this right and we've all we've all done this i'm sure um they've they've kind of told us about a really hard situation they're facing uh, perhaps it's a sick parent or um, a child perhaps it's something that they're worried about and uh, at the end of that conversation um, they've told us all about their hardships and, and we simply say, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'll be thinking about you. Like I've done that. I'm sure I'm not asked for a show of hands, but I've definitely done that. But what if actually in those moments we were to be brave? We were to take a risk and we were to say, hey, do you know what? Um, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I believe in prayer. And if you're up for it, I'd love to pray for you. If you'd be okay with that. That's all we need to say is just, in our own words, really simply, offer the prayer. Sometimes it's the kindest, most loving thing that we can do.
And it would surprise you how many people would actually say yes. So that seems a little bit easier than... And perhaps that's all that Philip was actually doing. Perhaps he was just going around the city offering to pray for people. So, let me check in here. Does that seem scary? Those to me, okay? Does anybody else? And I've done this before. Never kind of stops feeling scary. Just diminishes over time. Like, does it feel scary? Yeah? Anybody like, no, I, that's easy. I could do that all day long. I could pray for 10 people before breakfast. Anybody like that? No. Nobody like that. So that seems scary to probably the majority of us here. Does it seem impossible? No. Doesn't seem impossible. Okay, so it's scary, but it's not impossible. So we've established that it is possible, even though it's a little bit scary. So what do we need then? What do we need? If we're scared, but it's possible, we need courage. We need courage. We need courage. And what I want to do for us this morning is to pray for us. Because I think I've established that nearly everybody here in this room, including me, needs some courage. Because we've realized that we carry the presence of God what the world needs we carry but the thing that's kind of stopping us a little bit is fear it's fear that we might be rejected it's fear that we might look stupid it's fear that we might not get our words quite right it's fear that we'll pray and nothing will happen and that has happened to me I've seen people healed, and I've seen other times when nothing happens. That's all right. It's a stepping out where God meets us, He forms us, He forms character in us. He reminds us in those moments when we think we failed, He reminds us of His love, that He's with us. So why don't you stand? Uh, I want to pray for us this morning. Um, I want to pray for us for courage. At this Christmas, and we've got... One of the ways you can show courage is giving some people you work with or some neighbors or whatever, giving them some of the, the Christmas invites we've got. And actually, that takes courage too. It's easier to... Just leave that to somebody else to do. And we'll duck out of that one. But actually we need courage. So if you want, why don't you just reach out your hands and I'm just going to pray for us. Father, we come before you as sons and daughters. Sometimes we've forgotten who we are. Sometimes we forget that we were made in your image. Sometimes we forget that we carry incredible, 
power and authority. Sometimes we forget that you're with us. So Lord, where we feel afraid, whatever that fear might be of, We ask that you come and you meet us right in that place. Spirit, this morning I ask that you'd release courage. Just let it come. Let your courage fill us up. Give us strength and boldness. To step into the things you're inviting us into. Lord, anywhere where we put a ceiling on ourselves and we've said, actually, I can go so far, but if it's going to take that, then it's going to need to be someone else. Anywhere where we've put a ceiling on ourselves, we just break through that ceiling in Jesus' name. Just break through that ceiling. Lord, thank you that in you all things are possible. Because you're with us. And Lord, would each one of us leave this place with a deep sense of your presence living in us. A deep, deep sense of your presence living in us. Let it fill every fiber in our beings. Let it transform every thought. Where old pathways have been forged in our minds that force us to think a particular way, that we can't do things. Lord, would you come right now and would you forge new pathways? Wire us for a new identity as sons and daughters who know who we are and what we carry. Help us to know who we are and what we carry.